It's a leper. Stay back. Cover your mouth. Don't breathe his air. Don't come any closer. It's okay, John. It's okay. Rabbi, 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 Rabbi his disease, you can't. Please don't turn away from me. I won't. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Only if you want to, I submit to you. My sister, she was a servant at the wedding. She told me what you could do. I know you can heal me if you are willing. an extra tunic. Just one of you, just one of you. That's enough. Green is definitely your color. <laughs> Not too shabby. Anybody recognize that song on the last part of our video there? That is from AMC's The Walking Dead, a, a show about zombies. Um, full disclosure, Sarah and I watch zombie movies um, and zombie shows. And in the, the zombie movie genre, each one has specific distinctives about the zombies. And I remember watching World War Z from 2013 starring Brad Pitt. And in this movie, the zombies couldn't see, but they could hear. Uh, they can't see you, but if you make a sound, it's terrifying. And there's this one scene where uh, there's no background music, and the people are trying to move quietly past a group of zombies without making a sound, and it is silent, and it is terrifying. Uh, today, we are going to join Jesus and his disciples in two terrifying encounters, um, zombie-like encounters. And the first is found in Luke chapter five, the healing of a leper. And a leper uh, was very zombie-like in the ancient world. Uh, leprosy is a terrible condition. It takes your flesh, it takes your fingers and your toes, it affects how you walk, it rots away your skin. Uh, I thought about showing you a photo of leprosy found on Google but I decided against it. But we must begin to grasp uh, an appreciation of the depth of the suffering of these people. Imagine the horrific suffering that comes from this condition. And as if it wasn't bad enough, many of the people in the ancient world believed that those who had leprosy were cursed by God because of a certain sin in their life. 
Imagine if this was you, if this was one of your children, they're healthy, and then you begin to see a rash on their arm and it begins to spread. Those who had leprosy were quarantined for health purposes. They weren't allowed to live in the city or be a part of the community. They couldn't have a job. They begged for a living. Oftentimes they would rely on family and friends. There'd be like a neutral spot, like outside the city, where family and friends could leave supplies or food. Uh, and sometime later, the leper would come alone. They were always alone. They were either alone by themselves or with other lepers, full of stench, not bathing. Leviticus 13 uh, describes uh, what someone's supposed to do if they are a leper. It says this in verse 45, anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. If you had leprosy, this was your identity. If you had leprosy and you happen to be somewhere and a family turned a corner that, and they become remotely near you, you would have to yell, unclean, unclean. Uh, and the mother would then grab their children's hands tightly and run away as fast as they could. You were a monster. And some religious people at the time would constantly carry rocks in their pockets so that in, they ran into a leper. They would throw the rocks and drive them away. It is with all of this in mind where we read this encounter in Luke chapter five. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, make me clean. Jesus was in a town, a city, a safe zone. There, there wasn't supposed to be any lepers there. And this is unusual that the leper seeks him out. They're not allowed in cities but this man is desperate for Jesus. And so he walks up to Jesus proclaiming unclean, unclean. And then it says, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. This is not an exaggeration. You see the author, Luke was a doctor, okay? This is a clinical diagnosis. He is covered with leprosy. It's not a man who became a recent leper and only had a few spots. No, this man is covered with open sores from head to toe. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face. Do you think it was difficult for him to fall on his face with this condition? He's covered. He might be missing toes or fingers. So instead of making your way to the ground elegantly, he collapses and falls at the feet of Jesus. He's worshiping Jesus. He's falling at the feet of Jesus. And this is all before Jesus heals him. Some would say, well, Jesus, if you heal me, then I'll worship you. No, not this man. Verse 13, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus touched him. How long do you think it had been since he felt human touch? It may have been years, it may have been decades to be full of leprosy, it was advanced. He had been in this state for a very long time. He was used to people running from him, not walking toward him. But there was something different about Jesus. The greatest fear that others had was touching him. Now, Jesus could have absolutely said, be clean, 
and that healing would have worked. The leprosy would have left him. But Jesus does something else. He touches him. The touch wasn't necessary for the healing, but he touches him anyway. This desperate man is face down before Jesus in a vulnerable state, perhaps wondering if someone's going to kick him. He can't see what might come at him. People, are people going to throw stones? Are they going to kick him in the dirt? What, and what he's expecting is a word from Jesus, but what he gets instead is a touch from Jesus. Jesus touches those who are unclean. That's what he does. He's publicly dignifying this man. See, the religious people had a rule. You can't touch a leper. Because if you touch a leper, then you yourself become unclean. And Jesus becomes unclean to make him clean. Touch, it's a gift. Affection, it's a gift. In some countries around the world, there are many orphans that have been institutionalized. And there isn't enough food or medical supplies or staff members to really, truly care for these needy children. And the babies, often past toddler age, are still kept in diapers and in cribs because there's no other way to take care of them. No one to play, no one to hold them. They're lifted out to be fed and they change their diapers. But there's no real physical contact with, with other humans, especially any cuddling or holding or kissing, it says that they often end up in a semi-catatonic state. They often die from a lack of human contact. The condition is called failure to thrive syndrome. Touch is a gift, and it is what Jesus gives this man. And some of you right now listening online, watching online, you are expecting to hear a word from Jesus, and maybe, just maybe, you'll receive a touch from him instead. Now, there is another story of Jesus healing someone who has been ostracized by society. The story is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and actually Mark's account is the longest. And this is strange because if you know anything about Mark, it's, it's the shortest of all the gospels, and Mark's favorite word is immediately. Immediately Jesus did this, and then immediately Jesus went there, and it just zooms past everything. But when it gets to this story, he slows down. He gives five verses to detail the condition of this man been ostracized by society. And we'll read this story in Mark's version. It's found in chapter five. It says this, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. This is a scene from a first century horror movie. Okay, I am convinced that junior high kids in the Decapolis region would ride their bikes and dare each other to get close enough to catch a glimpse of the one who lived among the tombs and how all night long. And the disciples here, they're terrified. You can see it. Notice that Jesus gets out of the boat first. You know the disciples are like, well, I'm not going first. Jesus, you go first. Jesus, we're right behind you. This was another man in isolation. 
He lived among the tombs in the hills. He's living in a graveyard. See, people weren't buried underground with tombstones back in that day. They would be put, their bodies would be placed in tombs. So when it says he's living in the tombs, he's living among the dead. He is sleeping with dead bodies. And in first century Judaism, the only thing more unclean than a leper was the dead. And here, this man sleeps in the tombs of the dead, night and day, crying out. See, he once lived in the towns, perhaps with his family, but he was chained up. How sad and painful and lonely that must have been. When he had his episodes, he, he was eventually able to break the chains that bound him. Break apart the iron anklets that held him in place. This man surely had moments when he was in his right mind because he distanced, distanced himself out of necessity for not only the, the protection of those he's around, but for the protection of himself. He did not want to harm anyone when he had an episode, including himself. Surely if he remained in public and became a danger to others, the authorities would kill him. So he lived among the dead, those already dead, or at least he wasn't bound in chains. Verse six, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, the son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. It seems as though that there is some delineation between the man and his words and actions and the demons and their words and actions. It says the man ran to Jesus and fell on his knees before him, but then the demonic voices take over. Jesus says, what's your name? The demons reply, legion, for we are many. Now, a legion was 6,000 foot soldiers in the Roman Empire and 120 horsemen. Does that mean that there were 6,000 demons living inside this man? No, no. We don't get caught up in how many demons are in there. Another way to translate the word legion here would be mob. There is a mob of demons. There's a lot. We don't know how many. And I believe that the demon had the name legion to conjure up images of fear associated with the Roman Empire, with a Roman legion. Not to describe the exact amount of demons dwelling inside this man. And remember, to the first century Christians, any mention of the Roman Empire, that awakened all kinds of responses. Uh, Rome was in charge of the world. They're the ones that we submit to. If you've ever encountered a Roman legion, you bowed down or you died. End of story. They ruled through fear and violence. The Roman kingdom was about violence, injustice, power, fear, and money. Jesus' kingdom was about peace, justice, love, and mercy. All the things that were absent from the Roman kingdom. And then the demons begged Jesus not to send them out of the area. And this is interesting. You know how, like in ghost movies or in haunted house movies, the ghosts seem to be bound to certain locations, to that particular house, that particular abandoned, insane asylum, that particular graveyard. A case can be made that these demons are geographically bound as well. And they beg Jesus not to send them out of the area. We need to stay in this area. Verse 11, 
a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. If you could picture in your mind 2,000 pigs on top of water, dead. It's terrifying. It's a spectacle. Okay, that's something. Uh, there's a story there. Now, PETA is going to have a, a heyday with this story. Uh, Jesus grants the request of the demons and sends them into swine. Those listening, I'm sure, uh, must have thought and even hoped that I wished a real legion would go down that easy. When the gospel was read publicly, I'm sure that at some point, many of the Jewish Christians listening would snicker and some would even say, hallelujah. You got unclean spirits, unclean animals, all destroyed in one headlong rush, serves them right. See, to the Jewish mind, this is a joke. Unclean animals, unclean spirits, all destroyed in one fell swoop, it's hilarious. The joke doesn't really translate to our culture very well. Rather, it causes us to have some troubling questions, right? Like, like why kill the pigs? Okay, they didn't hurt nobody. Just innocent pigs, just eaten on the hillside and then drowned. It's not very Jesus-like, Jesus. Now, when we think of pigs, we have an affinity for them. It conjures up all kinds of images within our own culture of affection, of cute, of cuddly. We think of Porky Pig, okay? We think of Pumbaa. Uh, we think of Wilbur and Charlotte's Web. Piglet, Winnie the Pooh. The pigs from Angry Birds. And maybe my favorite, um, Miss Piggy. And then finally, obviously, I mean, I can't forget this, the most positive image of pigs in our culture that we could ever imagine is none other than bacon. Oh, love bacon, right? The only thing better than bacon is bacon covered with more bacon. Pigs have won our heart. We have no aversion to pigs, but not to the first century Jew. Not only was it not kosher, but swine represented evil. You see, it was only a few hundred years before where uh, the, the Greek empire took over the Jewish temple and offered swine as a sacrifice to false gods. It was the ultimate Jewish insult. It was called the abomination that causes desolation. The Roman legion who eventually destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD had the symbol of a wild boar standard on their shields. A, a denarius a day's wage in the Roman Empire in this period had a wild boar on it. See, we don't feel the same aversion to pigs now. We feel sorry for the pigs drowning, going off the cliff. Pumba, no! But I bet we probably wouldn't feel that sense of angst if the animals that were drowned in the sea were 2,000 rats carrying the bubonic plague. Or if it was 2,000 venomous snakes that fell off the cliff. See, if we think along those lines, we get more of the image and the emotion that this story evoked for a first century Jewish person. When you think about it, 
Everything about the scene is wrong. It's in Gentile territory, enemy territory. It's a pagan burial ground where the dead live. It's a man with evil spirits and there's thousands of unclean animals. And yet Jesus goes there. There's no place Jesus won't go. We talked about this last week, Jesus going to the red light district and here he goes to pagan territory with evil spirits and unclean animals and people living among the dead. There is no place Jesus won't go, no matter how desperate we are. The pigs drowning is often seen as uh, the end of the story, but that's not where the curtain is drawn. No, in this story, don't let the pigs distract you from the people. Let's read verse 14, it says this, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. This man was in a loud nuisance in the town, a tolerated nuisance because he was kept at bay. You could only hear him at night. The townspeople were afraid that Jesus here would disrupt their lives and they were right. He would disrupt their lives. But we don't have all of our questions answered, right? Did Jesus foresee the destruction of the pigs? Uh, pigs are unclean animals to Jews, but does that mean Gentiles can't own them? Would the death of 2,000 pigs not represent a colossal waste, perhaps even an economic hardship for the townspeople and their families? The narrative, uh, Mark here, quickly anticipates our questions and shifts the response. The, the town people kick Jesus out. The crazy demoniac who breaks chains, cuts himself, howls at the moon, is clothed in his right mind, reading poetry, but they're concerned with a loss of income. They're more comfortable with the malevolent forces that take captive human beings and destroy animals than they are with the very person who can expel them. They chase off Jesus, the very source of their own deliverance and salvation. See, people can tolerate religion as long as it doesn't affect business. This is a picture of Calvin Stowe and his wife, Harriet Stowe. I don't know how they took pictures in those days. Okay guys, no smiles on three. I need you to look stoic and creepy. One two, three. Okay, that was, that was great, right? This couple toured England in the 1800s denouncing slavery in America. People cheered and said that we are proud that slavery hasn't existed in England for many years. Stowe retorted, you are hypocrites. 80% of the cotton picked in the southern states is bought by England. He said slavery would die in America if England would boycott its cotton and went on to ask, are you unwilling to sacrifice one penny of your profits to do away with slavery? 
and he was booed off the stage. See, people can tolerate religion as long as it doesn't affect business. It's still true for us. I'll take Jesus. I'll take the forgiveness he offers and the eternal life he offers, but I'll go to church once a week. I won't give my money. That's mine. I'll follow God, but I'm not going to struggle. I'm not going to stop struggling with that one certain sin. I'll attend church, but this is my time. I'm not going to invite other people as well. What is it for you that you're holding on to? Are we like the townspeople? We can tolerate Jesus, but as long as he doesn't mess with our business, as long as he doesn't meddle with our stuff. The man here is clothed and in his right mind. And then Jesus gives him a difficult assignment. He wants to go with Jesus. He wants to follow Jesus. He wants to hold close to Jesus, the one who saw him, the one who healed him, the one who saw him as a person, not as a monster or a zombie. And Jesus says, no, don't go with me. Go back to the people who just begged me to leave. Yeah, go tell those people about me. And this guy goes from madman to minister like that. And check this out. I think this is so cool. At the end of Mark chapter 7, just a couple chapters later, Jesus comes back to this region of the Decapolis. He performs more signs and wonders. And instead of begging him to leave the region, it says that the people marveled at Jesus. I can't help but think, that it was the testimony and the preaching of this garrison demoniac that tipped the scales, that changed people's hearts toward Jesus. The one who needed healing became the one who helped in the healing of others. Notice that in both of these stories, Jesus healing the leper and Jesus healing the demoniac, that after their healing, they do what he says. That is our call as well. I want to follow the example of Jesus. I want to go where he wants me to go. I want to bring healing to people who are suffering, who are displaced from their homes. These past few weeks, as I read about the war in Ukraine, as I see footage of children and families suffering, displaced from their homes, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to pray. Today in our children's ministry at Prodigal Church, our kids are drawing pictures for Ukrainian children and families that are suffering and displaced. We as a church have gotten connected to two churches in Moldova, a neighboring country of Ukraine. And these churches are housing displaced Ukrainian families, mothers and children, and they're helping resource them as well as delivering supplies and rescuing more people from Ukraine. We hope that these pictures drawn by our kids, by children on the other side of the world, given to children on the other side of the world, might bring some sort of encouragement and hope and healing in the midst of great suffering. That they might be just a small touch from Jesus to these Ukrainians. And so we at Prodigal Church are gonna take our cues from our kids. And we too will be sending cards of encouragement to these Ukrainian families. And at this time in our in-person service, ushers are gonna pass out little cards and 
our church is going to be encouraged to write a small note, perhaps a scripture, um, a, a word of hope, a prayer. Maybe it's a drawing. But and these are going to get sent to these families. And we pray that these small notes will play a very small part in the healing process of these Ukrainian families, that they would be a small touch of Jesus. We'll also be sending money um, to resource these rescue and relief teams. And so if you are watching online um, or listening online and you wanna participate, you can send a short note um, and send it to our mailing address that is on our website and also in the description of this video. You can also donate online and just hit the tab missions and it will go to help these efforts. Uh, help us follow the example of Jesus and help bring a touch of him to those displaced, away from their home, and suffering. God, I pray that you would bless the great work of these churches serving the hurting, that they are an extension of you, the way you touched and healed lepers, the way you touched and healed the man in the garrisons. May you use these churches and use our church to help bring a healing touch to the hurting now. We pray for peace in Ukraine, for safety for those affected. We need you, we love you, in Jesus' name, amen. We wanna thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Uh, next week, we continue our series, uh, Jesus in 3D, and we so look forward to it. And mark your calendars for Sunday, April 17th, Resurrection Sunday. We want to invite you to, to join us in person as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We're going to be having baptisms in between services as well as a giant Easter egg hunt. It's going to be a great time for you and your family. Would you consider joining us in person? Uh, and we hope to see you soon. Grace and peace in Ukraine.